Since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, global health systems have been challenged like never before. As time and resources were directed towards responding to the virus, it was the dedication of healthcare workers that kept services running. Amongst the uncertainty, our hardworking Queensland clinicians have continued their pursuit of excellence, innovating and adapting the way they work to ensure consumers always receive the best care possible. To them, the pandemic was an opportunity to learn and grow and to ensure healthcare delivery continues to evolve to the ever-changing landscape. Because if we've learned anything from the last two years, it is that things will always change and our clinicians will always rise to the occasion. The Pinnacle of Each Showcase event is our great debate, where six brave souls from across the system take the stage, or in this case, the mic, to definitively answer a topical health question. The one consistent, a tongue-in-cheek session, which is as eye-opening and impassioned as it is entertaining. Moderated by Michael Zanko, the Executive Director of the Healthcare Improvement Unit, the affirmative and negative teams explored whether COVID provided the reset our health system has been crying out for. But which team came out on top? You'll just have to listen to find out. Now, on the affirmative team, Professor Lisa Nissen from the Vaccination Task Force. Who are you? This is her here. The wonderful Ms. Liz Crow from Staff Wellbeing Officer at the Royal Brisbane Women's Hospital. My favourite stroke physician, Dr. Helen Brown from the Neuroscience Division at the Royal Brisbane Hospital. Now, who are these other people? And on the negative team, negative team, Keith, what are you doing on the negative team? This fellow that needs no introduction as the lead of the team, Professor Keith McNeil. Uh, the incoming chair of the Clinical Senate, who we have stitched no end, and that would be Dr Tanya Kelly. And another person that needs very little introduction, but Melissa Fox, Miss Melissa Fox, the Chief Executive Officer of Health Consumers Queensland, who we love and adore. Now, first speaker affirmative team, Lisa Nissen. Good afternoon, friends, colleagues, the competition. Grab yourself a quarantini and strap in. The next hour, you'll hear from both of these teams, but team pandemic or team COVID force with herd immunity Helen and lockdown Liz will leave you in no doubt that COVID-19 or corona, not the beer, was in fact the reset, or should I say as a pharmacist, the laxative, hashtag toilet paper hoarding, that the health system has been crying out for. See, I said crying? <laughs> Thank you. But you might say with four and a half million deaths worldwide and 20, 220 million cases, and in Australia we're getting up to about 1,300 deaths, how is it possible with this data that this virus is actually what the health system has needed? Well, I've got proof. And if I had a mic, I'd drop it. Boom. 
the vaccine. Last year, you might remember a guy called Trump. Now, he said to us about this time last year, we'd have a vaccine. Now, he also said that you could get a tiny light and you could put it in your vein. And for the health professionals in the room, remember also he said you could get bleach? Do you remember the CDC lady going, oh, God? And you could put that in your vein and that might help with the virus. But he also said he could be president. Um, that also didn't work out for him. But he was actually right about the vaccine. And now we have the Pfizer and the AZ and the Moderna and about a dozen other vaccines uh, across the world. But it took about 100 years to get a vaccine for typhoid, two decades to get a vaccine for hepatitis, 200 days to get a vaccine for COVID-19. Now, why? Because we stood together as a world, we cut through the red tape, we shared data, we collaborated, and we invested in science and health. And poof, just like a COVID baby, the gestation period of a vaccine was less than 200 days. And we had a vaccine. So proof alone should be enough. I should finish. I'm less than my three minutes and I'm out. It is not impossible. It is possible for us to do it, to revolutionise, like we did with workforce. In a health system that is crushed by turf wars, subspecialisation and siloed health care, we saw all hands hit the wheel. And nobody died. Well, people died, but it saved lives. We had acute care, private care, primary care, all of the parts of the system worked together. And what better? In the UK, not only did we use health professionals, we used flight attendants. In an emergency, a mask will drop from the ceiling and then they stab you with a vaccine. They used librarians, engineers and vets. But just be careful, they don't measure your temperature. <laughs> but what we saw with that was not only an investment in healthcare, but we saw a massive uplift in vaccination rates in the community. But here, we've also done the same thing. Allied health professionals, OTs, physios, speech, nutrition, dietetics, oral health, dentistry, the wide range of nursing, allied health and student workforces being used to roll out vaccines in a mass vax campaign that's seen us administer 28 million vaccines in Australia and over 5 million in Queensland. So we've been able to actually use greater reach of our teams. We've been able to use technology to attend a grand round in Geneva, but also to send to go to a plenary session in Paris without pants. We've been able to waste up dress, but we've been able to connect communities across the world for better patient care at a pace like never before. And health has never been so hot. Homage to the Cho. <laughs> never before have we been more in focus in people's minds. When in our lifetime has, tw has a tween known the Cho's name more than they've known the name of the lead singer in one of the top 10 rock bands? When did you ever think that at a dinner party you would A, 
use epi and biostats that you did at uni. B, admit that you did epi stats and bio, uh, epi and biostats at uni. And uh, you better apologise to your lecturers. So Helen and Liz will further explore this in their presentations, but indeed, Rona is certainly looking like something the health system has needed. Thank you. It's all right, Tanya, just come on up. We'll take the mic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah all right. On. All right, I'll, I'll get going. Time starts now. Radio. Uh, it looks always a good, um, good thing, you know, take on a new job where, you, where it's involving meeting people and just go and fight with everyone on the first day. So that's, that's a great, great thing to do. Um, despite all of my um, better counsel, I said yes to coming here and I love you guys. Um, and at the end of this, we're all good. We're all good. Uh, right, so COVID did not provide the reset our health system is crying out for. Um, that's what we're going to be arguing today, and, uh, and I think it's pretty clear that we all agree uh, that we need a reset. There's no real question about that, um, whether it be in vaccine development or something like that, but broadly in our system, there's no question that we need a reset. But why is that, and what is it, and why do we all agree so much that we need to change? So we know that there's problems, we know that there's a demand issue, we know there's a cost issue, we know there's increasing complexity in healthcare, uh, and we know that change comes with a lot of challenges, and we hear the constant calls from consumers and from clinicians and government bodies that we need to be more nimble, we need to be able to be agile in healthcare, and, and why is it that we can't seem, seem to do it? And maybe it's COVID that can, can save us all, or fix it all, or something like that. We kind of know where we want to be. We know that we need to get ahead on prevention. Uh, we need to support well-being and get out of a break-fix mentality with health. We know that we need to provide the care that is needed when and where it is needed um, for, for everybody in our health system. We know that we need to move away from being tied up with appointments and queues and waiting lists and we need, to, we need to move to something that's more like a demand-based uh, type of care. We know we need to utilise technologies, we need to open up the notes, uh, we need to be a part of more than just an appointment, but a two-way or even more conversation about our health and with health partners and consumers. We know that we can see a world where consumers can log and blog and communicate with clinicians, not just in a 15-minute appointment next Tuesday or on the 14th of November, but when they need it at 8 o'clock tonight when they've got that follow-up question from the conversation they had today. We, need, we know that we need healthcare that supports people in their homes through smart technologies and virtual models that are easy to access. We know that clinicians who care so much about the quality and the fidelity of the care they provide, that, that can provide streamlined and easy processes where they don't have to constantly do workarounds to bridges the gaps in the systems. We all know this, that we want a system that's designed for efficiency. We all know that the policies and the regulations that sit behind it and all the wonderful work that's done by people in those areas needs to really get behind making it streamlined and efficient so our system can flow and sing. 
We know that we need information, not just data, and it needs to be accessible and benchmarkable. We need to be able to support these models of care and get these really smart people in our system to make really good decisions that make sure that we don't waste our health system and provide exactly what we need to people who need it most. We need to point this big machine of healthcare to really important and useful places, and we need to reduce waste along the way. So if COVID has provided this reset, I haven't seen it. Are we thinking about it? Yes. Are we doing it? No, we're not doing it. And I think if we all look into our different areas, we would see that. Do we want to do it? Yes. Are we doing it? No. So do we need to wait until it gets really, really bad maybe? You know, if COVID gets really, really bad, then we can start to think about it. But it'll be really busy then, and change made quickly is change made hastily. And what happens when that happens? Well, we know because we've seen it in our little COVID 1.0, where we did in my health service virtual care. We, we went silly on it. We, Everywhere we could do it, we would do it. We had um, telehealth conference, video conferencing, you name it. But the moment it stopped, where did we go? Back to our classic models of care because we couldn't provide e-prescriptions. We couldn't get information out to the GP. We couldn't do all of this stuff that makes it easy. And so we went back to our 1950s way of thinking and our classic models of care. So what we'll do it then? COVID might get us thinking. It might give us some new models, some excellent new models like vaccination. It might give us a greater sense of who we are because we're, we're going against a common foe, but that's not what created the wish list. I don't know how you think things are going so far, but it's pretty nice, isn't it? Like Lisa and Tanya, really nice people. The, the next person coming up is not so nice, guys. I've known her for a long time. So Helen, I hope you know, you better, Stuff it up. <laughs> you better send a couple of firecrackers over that way, huh? All awesome. Right. Now, I've provided slides, and hello to everyone here, and thank you. But, Tanya, I was really confused. I thought you were on our team for the majority of that talk, and my entire rebuttal is actually my entire talk, and I will show you all of these transformations that we've done. And we know the havoc that COVID has played on our system, and we know the human cost and suffering, but we're healthcare workers. And our job is every day of the week to find the silver linings in everything that we do, to try and make the lives of those we look after better and easier because we're helping and innovating. So number one, teams was no longer something for people who were good at sports, who were coordinated. I could be on a team for the first and only time in my life. And it's awesome. And I wouldn't go back. And now I can talk to all my colleagues across the state and they don't have the excuse anymore that they can't come to the meeting. And number two, it wasn't just us, it was the whole world. This is millions of people in the uptake of the use of teams over a one-year period. It, it's absolutely unbelievable. And I think that alone has revolutionized how we practice medicine and how we conduct our business in healthcare. So that's number one. Number two is telehealth appointments went through the roof. I used to sit in an outpatient governance meeting and every month we'd have the same discussion. How could we increase our telehealth numbers? How could we get better uptake amongst the clinicians? Problem solved, COVID. All went into telehealth, that was it. 
and there was the benefit for the patients because the patients, they didn't want to come to hospital because that's where the COVID-19 patients were. So we had patients who wanted to stay away but needed to be looked after. And what we actually saw was a reduction in some of the other killers in our society. So in 2020, there were 55 deaths from influenza compared to 1,080 the year before. And the death rate from a respiratory illness also reduced last year, or from social isolating, people behaving themselves, looking after each other and looking out from one another and staying away from hospitals, but still staying connected to care. And that whole, what if you have a question in a week or two's time, we've got a solution. E-consult is coming. And the other benefit for the patients was, it wasn't just that they wanted to stay away to socially isolate, the traffic is awful when you come to an appointment. Your letter even says that once you make it to the waiting room, if you make it to the waiting room, you may wait for two hours to be seen. And then you have to pay the car park fees just to add insult to injury once you leave the consult. So patients are happier. We're doing better on our proms and our prems because we're giving them what they want and what they need and providing the right care in the right place at the right time for our patients. And the other thing is the tyranny of distance. Some of these patients are coming from very far away. And I love this slide because I'm from Ireland and it just shows the vast space that we're trying to look after with our workers. And, and the other thing is where else can we now expand this virtual care? How else can we leverage off all the things we've learned through COVID-19? And this is a complete unashamed plug because we're putting our business case in for the Stroke Virtual Care Service. So what we want to do is provide virtual stroke care to all these remote regional facilities that don't have a stroke uh, clinician present because we know our regional communities are much more affected by stroke compared to a metro centre and they're the ones that can't access the care. But through everything we've learned through COVID-19, we now know how to deliver that care and get better outcomes for our patients. Now, moving on. So this is innovation in the workforce. This is the Muppet scale of who are the least helpful subspecialists in a pandemic. Oh, one minute. Okay, I better hurry up. I'm a neurologist. We're up there. And that's not fair because the other team have an anesthetist on their team. She didn't make the list. Now, the dermatologists, I, I really feel sorry for the dermatologists because there's only three things I remember from my dermatology course at uni. Number one, if it's dry, wet it. Number two, if it's wet, dry it. And number three, if nothing else works, give it a crack, try steroids. And you know what? Steroid was an innovation for treatment of COVID-19, along with the monoclonal antibody, nursing prone, and doing all of these things. So I think the dermatologist was unfair. Psychiatrists, okay, you may not want them to intubate you, but gee whiz, the mental health burden through this. People in isolation, people isolated from their families, people dying in hospital without their family being able to be present. The psychiatrists were very much needed, and people like Liz and her team, and all the peer responder groups and everything else, realizing not just the mental health of our patients, but also the healthcare workers looking after those patients. And the suicide rate actually dropped last year. Ah, oh, no. Okay, I knew I should have timed myself. All right, two things. Number one, this eight-year-old 3D printed masks using her pocket money. Amazing, but how much pocket money do they get over there? And that memo didn't go out to all the eight-year-olds because some face masks were much less effective. 
Spotlight came to the cause as well. Even Spotlight are helping. You can make your masks there. And this guy is a professor at Griffith University, and he can make ventilators out of the spare parts of bikes and a 20-liter bucket that you can buy at Bunnings. So this is medical innovation at its best, and this is what we're doing. I'm going to keep going because this one really caused me concern. Vaccination is the way forward. And I love that the University of Queensland has embraced this. And we've now got our choice of vaccinations. And we are so fortunate. What I was worried about was they talked about from vaccination to ventilation to keep your kids safe from COVID. I thought the ventilation was a bit too far, to be honest. Turns out it's actually air ventilation in the classroom, so it's all good. But I think you'll agree with me, you know, it has been the reset, it has been the shake-up that our system needs, and I think there's learnings that we will take with us and that we will never want to go back to the way we practiced medicine before. Thank you for your attention. Awesome. That's awesome, Helen. Well, I told you. That's why we find the checkbook every time we meet with Helen. <laughs> now you know why. Now, no introduction needed here. Melissa, how are you feeling? You ready? You can't wait? Yeah. All right, we'll go get them, champ. You know I love Melissa a microphone. Uh, hi, everyone. I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we're gathered and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. On your marks, reset, go. No, no. <laughs> Uh, and uh, how unusual for clinicians to be telling consumers that everything's fine, because it ain't. <laughs> and let me tell you why. Uh, but firstly, last time I was in a debate, I was in Year 12 at Narang High in 1993, up against some very confident grammar kids uh, at St Lawrence's, and uh, they were the best and the brightest who'd obviously been told that they were going to be the doctors and the politicians of uh, Queensland in the future. They wiped the floor with us, but today is my revenge, being with Dr Kelly and Dr O'Neill. Uh, but what none of us knew that day, or maybe some of you were uh, in the team that day, what none of us knew was that 30 years later we would be living a real-life Hollywood apocalypse movie, uh, mind you, with the fashion that's less tank girl and more, you know, tracky dack and Ugg boots, uh, but yet here we are. Uh, so what we actually need and what we still haven't seen is a reform reset. Pandemic literature says that pandemics provide a unique opportunity for the conditions for civil and social unrest. Uh, and so it's not surprising that we saw a global uprising in the Black Lives Matter movement last year. But these conditions also provided a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for true reform of the healthcare system led by the consumer voice. And yet, our EDs remain busy, other hospital processes are exactly the same, primary care is expensive and inaccessible due to a maldistributed workforce and fragmented big clinics, and fragmented due to big clinics, private insurance is broken, it's expensive and there's huge out-of-pocket costs. Some people go to public hospitals where they hope that they can get the care that they need in the one place, uh, but they face weights and an exhausted uh, health workforce. Care isn't better, like Lisa said. It's not uh, patient-centred. It's harder than ever. And sure, we've seen a reduction in flu deaths, um, but we've also seen that reduction um, in care, uh, non-COVID care, especially during lockdowns. And... Uh, if you think about a reset, turning it off and turning it on, we've turned the health system off and on. 
It hasn't fixed the healthcare system. Uh, what we needed was a radical overhaul of how the healthcare system was funded uh, to enable evidence-based, preventative, community-based, multidisciplinary care, where people are empowered to engage with their care through information and conversations and relationships with a healthcare provider who doesn't need to be a GP or specialist. And it's great that all of those wonderful allied health and multidisciplinary um, health professionals were trained in delivering the vaccine but we know that there's been so much resistance to them being allowed to deliver the vaccine because they're not nurses or doctors. So again, same old, same old. Uh, we also could have had a reset around health literacy and Queenslanders' knowledge around public health and uh, their own health has increased more than ever before. Uh, unfortunately, uh, there's been a lot of shaming of people's fears, of calling them idiots. Oh, sorry, Keith, I forgot. You're actually, you're on my team. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> talking about hesitancy, complacency, when really it's been about health professionals wanting to make, oh, sorry, not health professionals, consumers wanting to make decisions about their health care that's right for them and needing some time and some evidence. Uh, so we've lost that opportunity. Um, we've also seen where decisions have been made about the pandemic response, they've been political and not based on public health, and that's unconscionable. And it's also abhorrent to think that we as a society now would accept any unnecessary death or long-term harm, either through COVID or through the overwhelm of the healthcare system uh, by the borders and our states opening up early. How nice to be in the federal parliament and uh, or New South Wales parliament, not concerned that it might be your loved ones, our most vulnerable, uh, those populations who haven't yet been vaccinated at a level that they should be, First Nations, consumers, people with a disability, Disability, people in prisons, to not be worried about your loved ones. Some people have blamed supply, and I think I would have liked to have offered my kids to help Uncle Scotty, uh, you know, put 50 uh, million Pfizer doses into his cart. Uh, but I reckon they might have said, oh, you didn't remember your PayPal password, Uncle Scotty. Oh, bummer. But it's not too late. We can all still work together here in Queensland to roll out the vaccine as soon as possible, help reset our healthcare system to do all of the reform that we've ever wanted to do before. But what we need are political leaders who have the courage to do what needs to be done and give us big reform of the healthcare system. Thank you. Awesome, Melissa. Awesome. Look, as we're getting a bit of a clean down here, we're, we're coming up to the, you know, the grand finale of this debate. I'm just going to do a little bit of show of hands. How, how are we going? How are the affirmative is going better than the negative? Give us a, give us a hand. Is affirmative winning? Oh, okay. What are, who says the other guys, the negatives? Put your hands up. Oh, my God. Hey, listen, um, it's pretty tight, guys, pretty tight. Liz Crow. Liz Crow, take the podium, mate, and uh, don't feel any pressure, Okay. Uh, I'm not feeling any pressure to be... Oh! Oh, do oh no! Don't start the clock! I'm not ready! <laughs> Hang on, I can't see with the mask. Don't start the clock. Wait. Right, people. I've got some bad news for the opposition. Today we were meant to talk about did COVID-19 provide the reset our health system had been crying out for? We weren't interested that the Sunshine Coast was still in the 1950s. <laughs> we thank Lisa for her vigorously supporting us of all the innovations that have occurred. But outside the Sunshine Coast, we're going to keep going with that. <laughs> we also thank Melissa. 
We wholeheartedly agree with her that Scott Morrison might not be getting everything right. We agree with her that our vulnerable, our most vulnerable people have not been vaccinated. But again, this was not a reset about Parliament or about our politicians. This was a reset about our healthcare system, so let's get to the point. <laughs> right, initially, we wanted to say to you that COVID was the reset, and we've, we've heard from our very own Lisa that our vaccine for, the, for COVID was actually born faster than the gestation of an elephant. We've also learned that all parts of our system, we were able to utilise, be creative, draw on schools, you know, the unemployed air, airline industry to give us a hand. This is the first time in history anyone has cared about healthcare professionals. The first time anyone has stopped to think about our well-being. You can get free insurance on your car at the moment. Previously, they wanted to run us down on the pedestrian crossing. We've made enormous you know, grounds during all of this. It's been a win for feminism. We haven't been able to go to the hairdresser, to the beauticians. We've embraced our all natural and we've never had so much hair. <laughs> yes, folks, health has never been hotter. People are cheering us in the street and buying us pizzas. Got to be happy with that. Then we heard from the lovely Helen about our virtual care, how far we've come. I myself am a podcaster. We were one of the first to suggest, not me, but I was on the series, that proning was the way to go. We found new and exciting ways of getting information out there fast, and we were never able to publish in a journal faster than we have in the last year and a half. This is a win and a reset, and there's been no crying about those successes. Our workforce has become more flexible. We have seen reduction in some of the viruses that are most have previously been most dangerous. And the good news is, people, sex is up. <laughs> We've got a baby boom and STIs are down. All right, we've seen all sorts of things. And, you know, we agree there's been a tyranny, I think was the word, a tyranny of the distance of things in the past. But we're learning, we're growing. This was not about a debate about how fast we were getting there, but we are doing it because why? We're working together for the first time ever. Oh, jumping ahead of myself here. All right, so the other thing is, is that Healthcare professionals have never been smarter. Who here for the first time can name every Premier in the whole country? <laughs> we have joined with every member of the community. It is the first time someone from the Symphony Orchestra knew when the Rugby League Grand Finals were on. <laughs> There's been nothing that could, could tear us apart. Right, carbs and curves are back. We've shared more sourdough recipes, more fast food than ever, and bird watching has made a massive comeback. Never have we had more balance in our lives than we have during this pandemic. You can see the GP through a drive-through. <laughs> right. 
We have never appreciated our fellow professionals more. When our kids were stuck at home with us, we realised how much we liked them before and after school. <laughs> We've never loved teachers more. We've become more spiritual as a group. How many of you have sat in front of your computer in the last 20 minutes and said, Debbie, Debbie, you on? Are you out there? <laughs> Debbie, can you hear us? Yes, we are connecting with ourselves on all sorts of levels. Our environment has never been better. Air pollution cleaner. The Chinese have agreed to stop eating wildlife, which is how we started Ebola, <laughs> SARS. We are making a massive conduct, not just to get rid of this pandemic, but every other pandemic that has ever existed. And last but not least, we have realised as a human race that healthcare professionals, when we work together, are capable of global action. Global action. <laughs> well done. Well done. Well, we're in the home stretch um, and the solo male of uh, the debating team is going to take the podium. How are you feeling, Keith? Little, how are you feeling? I feel a bit sad, actually, because looking at these lovely ladies here, what I'm having to say, it's a bit, I feel a bit like I'm going to shoot Lassie. <laughs> but, you know, I've got to set the record straight here. Um, and the first thing I want you to know is that these debates are, are all set up for one reason and one reason only, and that's a showcase for Michael Zenko's talents. <laughs> now... Of course, the word reset means to move back into its original position, if you think about it. So you know, just keep that in the back of your mind. It's also, with my uh, IT background, uh, a term used to reset an electronic device back to the binary position of zero, but we won't go into that. Well, you know, <laughs> there you go. If that's your definition of reset. Now, Lisa. You started off by calling Helen herd immunity. Well, we know that herd immunity doesn't work, don't we? We saw it ravage Sweden and the UK. So come on, what are you, what are you doing here? Bringing out those sorts, of, those sorts of things. You led us with 4.5 million deaths worldwide. How is that in any way resetting a health system? In a good way? 4.5 million deaths? Give me a break. I mean, come on. Yes, let's reset the health system with flight attendants. Now, there's one out of the bag. That's a, that's a little Ronnie Coote, that one is. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, so what about better patient care? We, you said it, Lisa, better patient care. 100,000 excess deaths in the NHS because they couldn't provide the care those patients needed because the hospitals were overwhelmed with COVID. Not the sort of reset that I'd be looking for in a health system, that's for sure. American, bring out your dead in your hospital car parks. They were picking them up every day. Not the sort of health system reset that we want, isn't it? And all the procedures that have been parked, 10 million of them in the UK alone. Yeah, not my idea of a reset, I'm sorry. Anyway, there we go. So, Helen, you started off brilliantly. Your opening statement was fantastic. I am confused. <laughs> And you, and you brilliantly followed that through with your argument because I, I, I was trying to take notes and I, don't, I honestly don't know where I've gone. I did actually draw a picture of a Muppet, though. Yeah. 
So, so I, I love the analogy of Teams meetings, and I love your beautiful naivety around that you're there when you're in a Teams meeting. Come on, who's really there in a Teams meeting? <laughs> Who hasn't just sat there and gone on with the camera off and done their emails? <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Remember virtual care? You said, yes, we need it, we need it, we need it. And the reason you say we need it is because we don't have it yet. We're back to the same pre-pandemic levels of telemedicine that, that, uh, that we, you know, went up and went back down again. I guess that's a reset. We went back to the original. Yeah, you're right. Actually, I should acknowledge that. That's exactly right. And, you know, last time I looked, Spotlight, Bunnings, they're not really part of the healthcare system. Maybe they should be, but yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe they should be. Now, Liz, Liz, I, I think it's really great that when you do a debate that you start off with facts and figures around the development of vaccine and elephant pregnancies. The problem is that the vaccines actually took over 10 years to develop, right? Those platforms have been in development since, the, the, you know, 2012. And an elephant pregnancy, so that's, you know, nearly 10 years. An elephant pregnancy, the last time I looked, was about two years. So, you know, you've got to get your facts straight in these debates, otherwise you'll confuse people like Helen. <laughs> now, you could argue that uh, sourdough bread, pizza, free pizzas, excess carbs are a way to reset the health system, yeah? Actually, we're trying to go the other way. You know, we're trying to embrace prevention and stop obesity, not encourage it. So, yeah, are we resetting it? Maybe, but not necessarily in the right way. Publishing in journals. We've done fantastically well. Oh, what, 80 to 90% of them are withdrawn within 12 months because they're all rubbish. Uh, so there's no real peer review. But, yeah, we're out there and people are getting their name in lights, which is really great. And STIs and sex. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. Because if you think STIs aren't on the rise, we're actually in the middle of a syphilis epidemic right now. Yeah? So, uh, you know, that's not the kind of reset that we want. Now, have we sorted out ambulance ramping? Uh, no. Have we reduced length of stay? No. Uh, is the NDIS worse at getting people out of hospital? Yes. Are waiting lists better? No. Are we getting value? No. Are patients and consumers happier? Uh, no. Are we embracing prevention and preventing chronic disease epidemic? Uh, no. Uh, have we closed the gap in any material way? Uh, no. <laughs> We've actually made things worse. So how can you possibly argue that we've reset the health system? Thank you. Are we, are we tallying the votes scientifically or are we just going to do, do it Zanko style? Zanko style, I'm hearing. Let's do a show of hands. If you think the affirmative team have stolen the show here today, whack your hand up now. There's a poll in the app. but I can. No, hang on a minute. Okay, negative team. Oh, my God, McNeil does it again. Melissa Fox, congratulations on your first uh, winning of your first debate since 1990, or whenever it was you went to school. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast and taking the time to learn about the wonderful work of Queensland's frontline clinicians. To continue the conversation, head on over to Facebook and let us know of any pockets of excellence you think deserve to be showcased. 
This podcast is proudly brought to you by Clinical Excellence Queensland.